Belgioso Cheese is a family-owned and operated company specializing in artisan Italian cheesemaking. Using only natural ingredients and fresh, local Wisconsin milk, master cheesemakers handcraft a full line of exceptional cheeses, guided by a commitment to quality and a respect for tradition. Ask your distributor about Belgioso's award-winning fresh mozzarella, burrata, ricotta, mascarpone, American grana, and parmesan. At Belgioso, every cheese is a specialty. Serving a Nation's Restaurant News podcast, I am your host, Holly Petri. This week, we're going to be talking about Taco Bell, my favorite. Last Friday, the brand held its inaugural Live Moss Live, got that right this time, event in Las Vegas, where much like an Apple presentation, Taco Bell executives stood in front of a screen on stage and unveiled over a dozen new menu items, ranging from the Baja Blast Gelato to a Cheez-It-filled Crunchwrap to several new chicken items. During the parent company Yum Brands' earning call just a week before the event, CEO David Gibbs said that Taco Bell will be launching a new product every five weeks, which is double the rate of 2023. What does all this mean for Taco Bell? And now it's time for some rumors. There were several financial rumors over the past week in the restaurant industry, including the possible sale of a majority stake of Flynn Restaurant Group, one of the largest franchise groups in the industry. The alleged price? $5 billion. Another rumor is that Inspire Brands may go public. The restaurant group, founded in 2018, would be taking itself and its brands public as a unit for the first time. Inspire famously purchased the formerly public Dunkin' in 2020. What's going on in the financial sector of the restaurant industry, and what does it mean for the year ahead? This week's interview is Simran Sethi, Chief Product and Wellbeing Officer at Chula Indian Barbecue. And now it's time to introduce my co-hosts. I'm Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of Nations Restaurant News, and I too am offering a majority stake in my business. <laughs> I'm Leanne Zinsmeister, Managing Editor of Nations Restaurant News. I'll offer a lot of things for $5 billion. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Man, <laughs> all you need, to, and you can still be involved. They're still involved. They're just, it's just a majority stake. Yeah, and Inspire's price tag, if it goes public, is alleged to be $20 billion. So, I mean, come on, this is, there's some money flying around. Possible money flying around. Alleged money awesome. flying around. Alleged. <laughs> Caveat. 20 billion is a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, like, that's, that's like, I was going to say that's murder money, but I feel like I can't say that on a podcast. That's, that's Scrooge McDuck money. Scrooge McDuck money. <laughs> yeah, that's just a lot of money. get it in like single dollar bills and fill a whole room in your house with it and just like luxuriate in a pile oh, of money. so cool. I mean, it would like not be good for you because money's all really dirty, but um, you know. <laughs> yeah, last week we talked about religion. Let's talk about our our theories on money this week. That sounds great. That's what so glad podcast. I missed the religion podcast. <laughs> Is it a myth that all money has bits of cocaine in it? Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. That's the question. This is a restaurant industry podcast. All right. Should we jump into the news or did you have any questions for us, Holly? We're already derailing. (laughs) I mean, I I asked the question that I really was concerned about. Um, So, and it was just a, it was a concern when Liam brought up bathing in money. So, you know. You're watching too much Scarface. I've never seen Scarface. Mm, Movie wreck. Wow. This is just through, uh, this is through social media um, and what I would assume is incorrect information. All right, so moving on to Taco Bell, which is yes. a topic Please. I always love to discuss. So Alicia Kelso, our lovely colleague, went to the Taco Bell event in Las Vegas last week. It was on Friday. 
Um, and so in honor of Alicia going, I ordered Taco Bell for dinner on Friday too, as, as a, you know, as a joint effort. Um, and the event was from her photos and from what I saw on social media, because it was all over the internet, like not just in the food world. I follow like all sorts of people and it was everywhere. It was pretty cool. Like it was Taco Bell in a way I've never seen it before. And I think that that's a new move for them. That's pretty cool. Alicia was saying there was a lot of influencers there. She said she felt old, um, which I feel is impossible with Taco Bell. Taco Bell is ageless. Um, But, you know, she went there and it was all like, she described it as an Apple presentation. Like there was a big screen. You could see it everywhere. The executives were like pacing in front of it, giving all their, like, giving all their (laughs) new updates. Like it looked really cool. And then they had all these menu innovations. Like they have the... Baja Blast Gelato, which they're introducing, which I know, Sam, you tried when you went for Taco Bell for our um, award last year. And then uh, they also turned it into like a pie, which she said was a little key lime pie. So that's good. It looked horrifying. Um, And then there's like a Cheez-It crunch wrap, and that's cool. And then they have all these new menu items. They're introducing a lot of chicken, which we'll get into because that's a big step in the Taco Bell direction and in their quest to conquer lunch. Um, but they also are partnering with uh, chefs to help develop a new Crunchwrap Supreme. So um, they're doing a lot. It was a lot of information at once. Um, so you guys can attack whatever you think first. Um, I just pick a, pick a moment and we'll go from there. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack. Um, let's start with, as you referenced, Holly, last year we gave Taco Bell the Brand Icon Award. And everything you saw in this Live Mas uh, live event is demonstrative of why we gave them that award. Um, Taco Bell is why the brand icon award we give to those companies, as we say, that are honoring their legacy, but also really pushing the envelope on innovation, right? Finding that intersection of those two things. And so Taco Bell occupies that space so comfortably in that here is a company that's been around since 1962, And yet you just compared them to Apple, right? And that's an apt comparison because you're right. Like this event, I mean, you know, I have Apple geek friends who, you know, when Apple announces their product launch uh, events that you can stream and and where Tim Cook does the stage stuff, as you you mentioned, Holly, you know, like that's, they take off from work. Like that's a, you you know, that's a holiday. You got to pay attention, right? Taco Bell, I mean, what's so interesting to me is that this seems like, um, you know, they're, they're going that direction, right? They're embracing this kind of lifestyle company notion of we're not just, popular with young people. We're not just a value oriented company. We're not just, you know, tasty food. We are, we want to be a part of your lifestyle where you're going to look forward to our menu drops. You're going to look forward to these events where we're we're making an impact, not just in the meals you choose to eat, but in the, the brands you support, the people you follow, right? It's, it's this holistic kind of um, notion of the brand that it means more to you than just um, j- than just the food you eat, which is so fascinating, right? Because like for Apple, they make products that we use on a daily basis. N- yes, Taco Bell has some customers, probably Holly, that interact with it on a daily basis. But you know, f- for the most part, probably most people are maybe weekly Taco Bell customers, like loyal loyalists, or maybe a couple times a week. 
So it's so fascinating that they are kind of going this direction. Maybe they haven't thought of it. Maybe this is a one-off event. I don't know. But, you know, Sean Trezvant, the CEO who, um, you know, I had the pleasure of speaking with at their headquarters last year. He spoke at Create last year. He's this really young, energetic guy. Like, I can see why this event was so important to them to really, again, establish Taco Bell as the brand of the influencer, the brand of the younger generations, the brand of, you know, the, 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 the generations that are, aren't just younger generations, even, you know, up into millennials and even some Gen X where that lifestyle brand um, has become such an important thing for, for folks. So um, I guess that's where I'll start, which is like, this is a fascinating endeavor. I hope they keep doing this. I suspect this is going to become an annual thing, you know, maybe more frequent. I don't know. Um, and, um, I'm super jealous of Alicia and unfortunately she's busy right now. Otherwise she would be giving her firsthand account. Although I think she did on first bite, so go first check out bite, her yeah. first bite. um, uh, and hopefully next year, um, I'll get to go or one of you will get to go to this. Um, because yeah, what a better, what better way to get people's attention, get customers attention, but also influencers attention than to do this big thing, Super Bowl weekend in Vegas, all over social media. It's genius marketing. I'll get into the menu stuff here in a little bit, but first I'll let Leanne share her thoughts. Well, I was going to dig into the menu stuff too, but first of all, I'll say that this really was a like full on cultural event. And the way I know that is that I was on vacation, like a proper non-working vacation and Taco Bell was still all I heard about, saw on social media, saw on TV. Um, people who know I work in the industry were texting me about it. It was like, leave me alone. I'm on vacation, but also I can't avoid the information anyway. So here we go. Um, so I think that's how, you know, if you can penetrate my vacation bubble, um, that's how, you know, you've really got something here. Um, in terms of the menu, I am another, I'm a Taco Bell fan, but I'm like a three or four times a year Taco Bell fan at this stage in my life. I will say that coming out with a new menu item this frequently is a great way to get people like me into the restaurant more, or in my case, door dashing from their couch more, because uh, you got to try all the new stuff, if only because it's intriguing. What I love about these all these things is that there's such a mix between things that are wacky and innovative and things that like only Taco Bell would come up with and things that are not boring, but that are on trend um, and that a lot of different restaurant chains are experimenting with. So on the wackier side, we've got this Cheez-It Crunchwrap, uh, which really made me say, huh, how did they not come up with that sooner? Because this, of course, is the brand that brought us the Doritos Locos Tacos well over a decade ago, which I know because I was still living in Arizona when those came out. And I was like, it, it seems so obvious. And that's not a knock on Taco Bell because I didn't think of it. Um, and the Crunchwrap is my favorite menu item. So well done. I'll definitely be trying that one out. Um, this Baja Blast pie that Holly referenced. Uh, my first thought when I saw it was that it looked like a key lime pie. So I'm glad that that is maybe the consensus. Uh, eager to try that out. Uh, but then we've also got, you know, a lineup of new beverages. And of course, they're innovative, very Taco Bell types of beverages. I mean, churro chillers, like that is that is a Taco Bell product through and through. Uh, but beverages themselves and even kind of wackier beverages are very much trending right now in restaurant chains and also like as restaurant chains with 
Cosmics and Seven Brews and all of those. Um, they're going all in on Baja Blast. They're going all in on different kinds of sauces. Now, Taco Bell has always been really one of the main sauce brands, like one of those restaurant chains that you go to for the sauce packets, along with, I would say, probably like Chick-fil-A. Um, those brands are really known for their sauces, but they are going all in with even more sauces, uh, which is very Taco Bell, but is also very on trend. We've been talking about sauces for probably about a year now as a menu trend. Um, so to see them at, dig into that, I'm just fascinated by like the digging into existing trends while also just coming up with these off the wall things that I truly would not expect to see from any other chain. Uh, so those were my first impressions. Yeah, they, they really balance so well. And again, it kind of goes back to that sort of legacy innovation kind of thing. They, they do also this balance of, um, you know, novelty and quality that I think is so fascinating because um, Taco Bell, again, first blush, you think, oh, you know, Oh, cheap fast food, right? I mean, like, ah, oh, they're not going to win any James Beard awards, right? Um, and Taco Bell recognizes that they're very comfortable in their lane and what they provide, but that doesn't mean they're not going to try to innovate and have more high quality things. And so, when you look at particularly these cantina menu items um, that they're really emphasizing, and a lot more chicken items, you know, they're they're elevating the quality of some of their menu items because they're recognizing people in general have higher expectations for fast food, right? Like even cheap fast food today still has to be better because the expectation is higher because there is just so much competition out there. And so the cantina menu items that they've developed are, are pushing in that direction of higher quality menu items, but still, of course, add a value to Leanne's point, like innovating with sauces, that's trendy. You know, they're, they're, they're offering flavors that you can't, get in typical QSRs. And that is, um, you know, providing some of that adventuring quality again, but simultaneously the cheese at crunch wrap, which yes, here for it. And definitely going to get that once it's at the uh, all Taco Bells, um, you know, it's novelty, right? Like, um, you know, not to say it's not going to be tasty. I'm sure it's going to be amazing, but it is, um, you know, very much this kind of quirky, funky, I got to try that novelty item, that is uh, is playful right it's it's not on that high quality spectrum as much as more that playful spectrum and so um it makes a ton of sense uh you know i when i went out to taco bell headquarters as part of my brand icon reporting i got to go into the test kitchen and, and um sit down with their executive chef liz matthews um and uh, i tried some of these things i tried um the cantina chicken burrito i believe um and at the time i wasn't allowed to say anything and then now i know why because the, here they are announcing it um but also tried the baja blast gelato um and you know this stuff is really good right like again you know taco bell cheap fast food but they don't skimp on the flavor and um and when i was talking to liz about their strategy with menu innovation she kept saying this phrase that i was um really pleased to see as i read alicia's story popped up several times in alicia's story big idea and you know we love big ideas at nrn we did a whole power list on people coming up with big ideas a couple years ago um and liz when i spoke to her at headquarters um she kept talking about this notion of the big idea and how their approach to innovation in R&D at Taco Bell is to foster this environment where people, they welcome big ideas. They want people to throw out big ideas. And then they they just foster the big idea on the path to 
um, you know, on the path to the menu. And they come up with, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of menu items all the time. They're constantly trying to develop these things. And then, of course, like any other company, any other restaurant, they have the funnel of what's going to, you know, be feasible, what the customers like. They have, you know, of course, they test these things um, until they get to that place where they land on the menu. And so um, these things are not done without extraordinary amount of thought and strategy put into them. And, um, and, and ultimately, you know, the big idea lands on the menu and, and makes an impact for customers. Um, this is just, a, again, I think more unprecedented than any other restaurant company because the number of menu items they roll out, the number of menu items we talk about, like I don't talk about menu items from Wendy's in this way. And that's no offense to Wendy's because they have my heart. I eat there more than any other QSR, but still it's like, we don't, they're not newsmakers like Taco Bell menu items are newsmakers. And I think that's something every restaurant company can learn from, right? Because you have to treat the new menu item like the iPhone release. And even though it seems so dumb to say, because it's like, you're going to use your iPhone, it's going to be more critical to your life than the new menu item. Um, it, it, it's still finding the way to pull on the emotional sort of heartstrings of the customer and fit it into that lifestyle of that is a new interesting menu item. I must have that. And then you turn into Holly and become obsessed with it and order it all the time, right? So Taco Bell knows exactly what they're doing. And to amplify it at this level with this event is just, it's genius. And, and Taco Bell, there's a reason that they're really kind of writing the playbook here for restaurant marketing um, and why they're so respected, I guess I should say, in this industry is because they're writing that playbook. Something I want to touch on is the chicken element of the menu. I mean, Taco Bell did not have a lot of chicken before this, uh, but you know we've talked about consumer trends. The last 10 years, consumers are eating more chicken than beef. Uh, Taco Bell's known for its beef. Um, we're seeing a lot of chains over the past five-ish years adding an insane amount of chicken to menus. And Taco Bell is now, you know, in 2024, investing in a chicken menu. It's at their cantina mostly, which Liz Matthews said is their future. They want the cantina to be what is next for them. But I think that the chicken innovation, it's all different kinds of chicken too. Like there's shredded chicken, there's regular chicken, it's all seasoned. I mean, it's they're really going deep on chicken, which is what Alicia's main takeaway from this whole presentation was, is that they're really embracing chicken and, and they are doing it because they're missing this lunch component. They're really big late night uh, restaurant chain, but they don't have as much business at lunch. And so they were hearing from consumers, they want chicken and they'll come for lunch if they get chicken. And so they're really trying to get this day part that has been evading them and has probably been, you know, a big part of Wendy's business is probably the lunch day part versus Taco Bell is not really in it. So, um, I mean, what do you guys think about the fact that they're going so in on chicken? I mean, that's another one of those trends that they have just decided to go all in on. I mean, something I respect about Taco Bell is they don't do an they don't add menu items just to be trendy. I mean, yes, they did the like chicken nuggets last year was like kind of 50% gimmick, but um and now they're over here saying, "Okay, you guys like chicken, here are 20 new chicken items." Um <clears throat> all at once. They have taken their time. I mean, chicken's been trending for five or six years now, um, I would say. Uh, they took their time. They figured out how to weigh. I mean, again, I, I haven't tried these items yet, but I'm presuming that they have gotten them right um, because they are Taco Bell and they don't tend to get things wrong. Took their time, figured out how they can do chicken, uh, not only <clears throat> with the Taco Bell flavor, but how they could incorporate it into very Taco Bell menu items. 
how they could market it to people. Um, and then they said, you want chicken? Here's some chicken. Here's all this chicken. And for what it's worth, like, I love chicken. Um, <clears throat> I went to, I know, I know. Shocking, Sam. Um, it's like saying, I breathe air. I don't it's like not, chicken. though. That's not true. People don't like chicken. Well, it's chicken. It's I chicken. Like chicken. I, I also think okay, it's hilarious Ohio. that you said it's been trending for five years. I'm like, you know, well, people have been eating chicken no, for millennia. People, obviously, people have been eating chicken forever, but in terms of, like, restaurant menus and specifically QSRs, I mean, how often did you talk about chicken sandwiches before Popeye's? Fair. And we know Gen Z loves boneless chicken. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know why, but... Uh, whatever um i mean yes people have been eating chicken for this long but restaurants haven't been innovating with chicken in this way for longer than the past few years and you know it's just like it's everywhere and so that is one of the things that i really respect about taco bell is they don't they don't shy away from things because they're trendy they say okay we're gonna take this trend and we're gonna put the taco bell spin on it and we're just gonna go all in if I had a theory, too, about chicken, I mean, chicken is a pretty blank slate. It's pretty neutral protein, right, flavor-wise. So, you know, my guess is, I mean, yes, it is popular now. Um, and and for many, many reasons, you know, it's, a, a, again, a pretty straightforward protein. Um, it's perceived as healthier and tends to be healthier, obviously. Um, but but I think, too, with Taco Bell, my guess is, like, there's it also gives them a lot of opportunity to play with flavor because chicken is not a, um, because it's a neutral protein flavor wise, there's a lot more you can do around the sauce and the other ingredients. Right. So, um, so it just fits nicely into what I think they're doing with these, um, new menu items. So yes, to Leanne's point, they are, they are here to own the trend and, and, you know, set a new bar for what people should expect with it. But also I think, um, using it to their benefit to say, let's play with sauces, let's play with all these other things so that we can offer a unique flavor profile. Well, and they were quick to say, or Liz was quick to say with Alicia that they're not expecting any operational issues when it comes to rolling out these menu items. And these are, the chicken is all new skews. They have all these new sauces, like, but Liz said that there is not going to be, you know, an operational issue. So I think that that's an interesting thing. Taco Bell is known for being pretty efficient with his SKUs. Um, so I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch as it rolls out. Now, let's get into some gossip. Because we are, <laughs> we've got gossip. Uh, <laughs> expensive gossip, too. It's it's a lot of money going around, allegedly. Um, so... <laughs> Let's talk about Flynn Group first, because this news came out on Friday, um, and it was a pretty big deal because they are a huge franchise company. They have massive amounts of stores. They have more stores than some restaurant companies, like in like the triple digits have. They have more stores than Sweetgreen, that's for sure, and we think Sweetgreen's a great brand, so. Holly, they have 20 times more stores than Sweetgreen. Can we just <laughs> emphasize here? I, you're floundering for a description here. This is a company that has 2,000 plus restaurants and four and a half billion in sales. It's the largest franchisee in the world. There, you're welcome. <laughs> it's bigger than so. Sweetgreen. <laughs> Goodness gracious. That was the biggest restaurant company she could think of, okay, Sam? <laughs> I guess so. I'm like, uh, for God's sake, it's like half the size of Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> that was the anyway. first thing that came to mind was Sweetgreen. And I was like, okay, I'll say it. It is anyway, bigger continue. than Sweetgreen. I wasn't wrong. True. Continue. <laughs> so 
there's rumors that a majority stake, so not the whole shebang, just, you know, most of it, um, is could be up for sale with a $5 billion price tag. So out of my reach. Um, but I mean, what, what could this, what could this mean for the industry? We've seen a lot of franchise groups sort of either selling none the size of Flynn, but we've seen a lot of franchise groups selling to people and selling back to the company and making new changes. And I mean, what do you think this could mean for the industry when it comes to franchising? Maybe if we pool our money, Holly, maybe, um, maybe uh, team NRN, we can all go in yeah. on this together, cash yeah. out our 401k. Um, I mean, this is, it's a different stratosphere, right? I mean, Flynn is, so Greg Flynn, leader of the Flynn group, um, is a uh, highly respected leader, uh, very good at what he does. Great dude. I mean, I, I've had a chance to meet him once. He's just, um, just a really smart guy. And, you know, has when your endorsement a, is very important, Sam. Oh, I, I thought so. Uh, I figured that's the only reason people listen to this podcast is to get my opinion on who I like and don't like. Uh, this is the gossip uh, podcast, as you say. Um, and, but I mean, I guess the point is, is you know, he, he's assembled this group really only over the course of 20 years. I mean, it's, it's remarkable what he's put together. And it's, um, I think, six different concepts in the portfolio now. Um, and uh, restaurant concepts specifically, because they, they also have... Planet um, Fitness. Uh, right. Um, but the point is, is like, they've, they've grown to, to an accurate point you did make earlier, Holly, the size of essentially entire major restaurant chains. That's how many, how the scale of this business and, and there's any, I mean, I don't know if we read the tea leaves on what they are looking for to do here. First off, let's say they're, they're selling a majority stake, but you know, all of the stakeholders currently involved are as, as far as we know, according to the reports, still planning to be involved on a minority status. Um, so still being involved, but obviously by selling a majority stake, they're able to raise an enormous amount of capital to then put that back into the business and continue to grow. So that would be my hunch is um, in, in a year that we anticipate there to be a lot more movement in the markets, we expect there to be a lot more mergers and acquisitions. We expect there to be more IPOs filed that investors presumably come off the sidelines as inflation cools. Um, you know, it, it's probably preparation to build this business even bigger, um, which is just a remarkable thing to say for a franchisee, the size of what it is. Um, but outside of that, I don't know what, what to make of it um, for, for uh, from a broader franchising perspective, because, you know, franchising is um, as a model. I mean, it continues to be, in my perspective, I see there can be sort of this barbell thing with franchising where you have so many of these huge major franchise organizations like a Flynn, but obviously generally much smaller. Then you've got, I mean, franchising's original purpose truly has been to provide that American dream opportunity to own your own business to a mom and pop, you know, somebody who has one, two, three locations. Um, there's, there's still a lot of that going on in the restaurant industry. I think that tends to be uh, more normal, but the major chains, you know, they want the Flynn groups. They want those multi-brand portfolios that have the capacity and the ability to um, raise a bunch of capital and grow, 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 grow. Um, so, so, I mean, I think if we, again, try to look into what does this mean for franchising, um, if you pair what Flynn is doing with sort of a notion of, um, you know, what 2024 will probably look like from a broader financial standpoint. Um, I would suspect we'll see more franchise 
companies with some scale look for acquisitions, look to raise capital, look to um, make some moves that position them for, um, again, more and more of that scale that can help them uh, uh, kind of assert their dominance and um, and and leverage their or leverage their um, economies of scale for even bigger growth for an expected stronger economy in the years ahead. Yeah. And if you don't mind me using this commentary to sort of feed into our next story too, you know, one of the things, one of the things I predicted for 2024, and I think now it's a trend that my predictions just kind of go like off the rails and the opposite thing happens. But I, I knew we were going to see a lot of financial movement this year. And I predicted that it would all happen amongst like really tiny chains. Um, but here we are talking about the biggest franchising company in the world up for sale, um, among some other big brands this year. But, um, you know, I think I think that's really interesting for all the reasons Sam mentioned. Flynn is especially interesting to me because they have a variety of brands. Um, you know, we just a couple of weeks ago we're talking about Carol's Restaurant Group, uh, which sold to RBI, which is the parent company of the restaurants that Carol's franchised. And so it was, you know, a logical sale. Um, but I'm fascinated by this Flynn sale. And I think it'll be fun to watch because they do have a, you know, a variety of franchises, both restaurants and not. Um, so I'm curious to see who will scoop that up. I see Sam has come off of mute. Sam, do you have commentary oh, or no. predictions? I just, I didn't want to forget I was on mute and do that old man thing where I start talking and realize. Oh, so now we're doing this thing instead. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I was like, oh, maybe Sam has a prediction or maybe I've said something false. Um, okay. I wanted <laughs> to throw you off your game ultimately. I'm like, did I say, so? I, I think all those things I just said are true, but I don't know. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad about the big company financial movement. Um, I just do think it's funny that if I say something's going to happen, you can pretty much expect the opposite because this is two years in a row that my primary prediction has just taken on a life of its own. Um, and so in a similar vein, we're also talking about Inspire Brands, uh, the second largest restaurant company in the country, uh, which is allegedly might be exploring the possibility of an IPO. So another big company uh, financial move that we may see later this year. Uh, IPOs, of course, we do see with bigger brands. Um, you know, we've been following the alleged Panera IPO for I don't even know how long at this point. Uh, so perhaps less surprising, but uh, I do, I do like to see the action among the bigger chains. I think it's exciting. Uh, I mean, we've been talking about the Subway acquisition for well over a year now uh, since it was first rumored, and I don't believe that sale is final yet. Uh, so I'm looking forward to many, many years of talking about Flynn and Inspire with you all. <laughs> Lucky us. Yeah. I mean, and look, there's the obvious parallel between these two groups is, you know, they're both major organizations, major portfolios made up of multiple brands. Um, and, and both of them, again, with that economies of scale, right. I mean, I mean, Inspire was created, um, to get to this point where it would be able to centralize so many functions, um, across multiple brands so they could much more efficiently, you know, operate all of these brands again at scale. And, and so, you know, the main difference is Flynn does this at the franchisee level and Inspire does this at the franchisor level, right? So, so both of these organizations, 
um, designed to be efficient operators of restaurants. Um, and so with Inspire's IPO, again, same thing as Flynn, which is um, raise capital for further growth. You know, we've built this model. We built this thing to be efficient and to be, um, you know, the the best operator of restaurants, I'm sure they think, in the world. And, you know, certainly they are up there because, I mean, Inspire has had hit after hit after hit for the last several years. Um, and so now let's take this thing for a spin. Let's go raise some capital and pump it into the business and and grow and expand and innovate and maybe acquire more brands. Who knows? Like, let's see what happens because um, there are still some holes in the portfolio that I'm sure Inspire is looking to fill. And so that'll be fascinating to watch. Again, it you know the the markets are are more are becoming more favorable for this kind of action and so that's why we're just seeing some of these companies um uh look to these opportunities to raise capital to um pump it into the business and to step on the accelerator and what you know many are hoping will be 25 and 26 we're all hoping the economy will be stronger um and uh and it will be ripe for you know, more expansion. So, so they're all preparing to do that with the, the tools they have available to them. I mean, Inspire formed in 2018. It's been six years. Like that's an incredible growth plan to go from two brands merging to now six years later being worth possibly $20 billion. The Duncan deal I think was like 11 billion um, when that was in 2020. And I mean, like, I just think it's looking at the group it's pretty incredible to look at their trajectory. Um, I also think like, what a cool year if 2024 has Inspire go public and all their brands and Panera go public, like that's a lot of money flying around. That could be a real game changer. And I'm just like, that's a fun year. That's a really like, I don't know. I'm, I'm like excited that that could be what we have in store. Love your optimism, Holly. I, I don't think I share that optimism for 2024, but hey, uh, it'll give us, it'll keep us employed. Let's just say that we'll have news to report. Say, so. I don't think our writers are going to be very happy if uh, several more brands have to report and go. Hey, public. we we lo- the, this is that keeps us in business. This is what NRN is here for. We're here to to cover the news, and there has to be news to cover. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, to your point, Holly, like what Inspire has done is fairly unprecedented. I mean, of course, you have a model like Yum to compare it to, and Yum's been around for. I mean, of course, Yum, before it was Yum, was PepsiCo. And, um, uh, you know, th- these these multi-brand portfolios have existed before, but Inspire has taken it to a whole other level. And, you know, Paul Brown, CEO of Inspire, um, he came out of the hotel world. And I'm going to I'm gonna get wrong what, what company he was with. I want to say Hyatt. I might be wrong about that. But, but he came out of this world where, you know, this is what hotels were doing, right? Hotels, if you look at hotels, I mean, there's only a, a few companies that own all of the brands, right? Like you look at Marriott. My goodness, Marriott has 30 brands. I don't know, an insane amount of brands in their portfolio. Um, and, and Paul Brown was, you know, essentially came in to do this, to, 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 to replicate the model with Inspire across restaurants. And I think they're proving that it's working. And then RBI came in after Inspire, I think I, I'm, my, my timelines are all over the map, but when Burger King and um, Tim Hortons and Popeye's all became uh, a family and then later bringing in firehouse like again same idea this is you know and the and these things are not new but you have so many other examples in other industries of how to make this work how to build these economies of scale across multiple brands um 
and, 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 and the implications are fascinating and not to get off on, you know, and geek out on these things, but like, you know, think about technology, especially think about how inspire how much data that company has. <laughs> when you think about the brands in its portfolio and the number of Americans that visit, you know, just one of those brands, I mean, it's got to be over 50% of Americans, I would guess. I don't know. But like they, through all of those brands and through this technology, like their data lake, as we all like to say, is is more like a data a data ocean, right? Like they've, they've got an insane amount of data. And, that, and that's exactly why you build these companies because your capabilities of, you know, reaching the customer, knowing more about them, leveraging that to improve the business, um, and drive sales is, is just, it's insane. So I guess why I say all that is to say, you know, inspire RBI yum. Um, you know, we're going to see more of those. And we, and I think to Leanne's point, you know, we have seen a lot of action on the emerging level. So with some of the more low hanging fruit, some of these emerging chains, um, you know, coming together under portfolios, thinking of like, uh, you know, a crave worthy, um, savory, which is a little bit different because they're, they're private equity. But like, again, you know, you have these little portfolios of emerging brands where the same kind of model is being used. You're seeing a lot of action there, but I think we'll continue to see some of these portfolios of really big, big chains coming together because of what you can accomplish at that scale, particularly in this day and age of technology and, and being able to, you know, bring all of the brands together. Quick fact check. RBI was founded in 2014. Um, and Paul okay. Brown was with Hilton. And before that, Expedia. Oof. O for three. <laughs> um, you know, I got the H right. I said Hyatt. I meant Hilton. So forgive me. Um, but thank you for fact checking. Of course. That's, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> that's my job. Actually, that's Leanne's job. But I took it over for today. <laughs> well done. You got it. All right, so uh, today is our culinary episode, so I'm glad we touched on a lot of food. Um, so I'm going to throw it over to Brett Thorne, who interviewed Simran Sethi, the Chief Product and Wellbeing Officer at Chula Indian Barbecue. But first, I'm going to thank you guys for joining me. Belgioso Cheese is a family-owned and operated company specializing in artisan Italian cheese making. Using only natural ingredients and fresh local Wisconsin milk, Master Cheesemakers handcraft a full line of exceptional cheeses, guided by a commitment to quality and a respect for tradition. Ask your distributor about Belgioso's award-winning fresh mozzarella, burrata, ricotta, mascarpone, American grana, and parmesan. At Belgioso, every cheese is a specialty. Thanks, Holly. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Brett? I'm doing great. I'm fascinated by what's going on in back of you. There's like diagrams and stuff. <laughs> That that is just part of our um what you call action room. We a lot of this this is where actually a lot of the work started when we uh, built Chula in 2014, and this is still one of those offices where we come in to move away from everybody else in the restaurant and kind of put our heads together. But we do have other office now where everybody is. But this is my hideout for today. And what kind of what what's what's going on there? Is it top secret? These these diagrams. Uh, no, it's not top secret. I think uh, what it is, is uh, with Chula, uh, as you know, we did not want to reinvent the wheel. We wanted to bring something that has not been done before. And when you have to do that, there's a lot of planning that's needed. And it's an ongoing growth. So what you see here is our ongoing plans and how we are doing things systematically and kind of building our strengths as we go along. I see. And you, you guys are a fast, casual 
Indian restaurant. The full name of the of the restaurant is Chula Indian Barbecue, right? Mm -hmm. And you are the chief product and well-being officer, right? Yes. So that's a terrific title. What I love it. It sounds so cool. It does. <laughs> and, and I have I, to work with it, so I enjoy it. Fantastic. So I, I what does it mean being the chief product and well-being officer? And why did you guys pick that name? Yes. So um as you know, this concept, we uh, dreamt of it many years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, my, um, our business partner is Raji Shankar, um, Randir Sethi. He's a co-CEO with, with him. And I am the, uh, I'm the person who's on the menu architecture side, basically. So uh, all the R&D and getting the um, product uh, in the form that we want it. And what are our, what's the menu that we want to, what direction we want to go in? What are the products that need to feature? What's the recipe going to be? Just all of that falls under what I do. Along with that, the well-being, uh, it has been a personal interest of mine um, since, you know, childhood. Uh, I had a upbringing where a lot of the mind-body was part of our upbringing. And uh, for us, food is always medicine. And it is not separate from the body. So this was all something that we were doing routinely. I was doing routinely. However, during COVID, it took a bigger meaning. And that is because for our teams, it was very important to have the right mindset and to have well-being. It became a priority. It wasn't one of the things we would do. So um, I uh, took it upon to just have various workshops, whether those were mindfulness, whether it was mindset, uh, we would sit and talk about the cuisine so that there's an education pride about what we are serving. So just an overall well-being as an experience, because this is a journey. Everybody spends so many hours at work with us. So it's not just a job, you know, it's part of your life, from, hopefully for many years to come. And if that's the case, let's all be well and happy while doing it. And so the joy and yum is not just in the food, it's in how we are, what we do. So it's almost like a lifestyle platform, if you would, you know, think of Chula as. So we really take our vision seriously, which is transformation, um, touching every life, um, transforming every life we touch. And that goes for our teams, our vendor relations, our customers, for ourselves, just making sure that we are, uh, we are living the life that we want that we've created. So it's a little Chula universe. <laughs> so you are in charge of product development at yes. the restaurant, as well as uh, the well-being of the staff at the restaurant. Is that right? Yes. Yes. That's a unique combination, sort of human resources and, uh, and menu development at the same time. I don't think food and uh, food and your mind are too, you know, they both impact each other. Right. So. Yeah. And, yeah. and then your body, of course, follows. <laughs> and I certainly don't want to eat food made by someone who is unhappy or angry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You want there to be joy in everything that you consume. Absolutely. Absolutely. So are, are, is this uh, approach based on traditional uh, Ayurvedic customs or, or yes. is it a combination of that and other things or what? So um, I think anything in life sort of stems from... Initially, you're exposed to something and then you kind of imbibe it and try it on and see how it goes for you. And if you start to seeing start seeing some benefits of it, you want to share it with the world. I guess that's the evolution of a human being. Right. So if you think about it, um, when I was growing up, Ayurveda was a part of, you know, in India, there's a lot of 
it's just part of your life. Even if you have a cold, it's not the first thing is not to go for a cold or flu medication. You actually look for a tea that is made with herbs, right? Herbs and spices. So um, as a basis, yes, that's where um, it, it originates from. But then as we grow older and we see our different experiences, that's when you try, try to see for me to function 100% and have a great experience in this life what do I truly need is to take care of myself, this vehicle that we call the body. And for that, what do we, what better feel to be in than food, right? So we're in food, uh, we get to try on different things and see how that works. So Chula creates food that is not only good for you, but it's also good to taste, right? So sometimes those things are exclusive. So we try to do both. And for from Ayurveda, we come, um, the big part of what we serve is are spices. So we actually source 31 different spices. They meet the highest SQF food safety standards. We bring those spices, we custom blend, make our different blends for different things. So even though when you were saying we are a fast casual, really, if you look at what we are doing is we are using time-honored slow cooking techniques. We are cooking things from scratch. Even a chickpeas start with raw chickpeas. We soak them. So no matter how many of these chulas are open, the idea is that we are taking care of every step of the way. Is there is the food safe? Is there premium quality? Is it something that's good for you? And those spices that we are using, we actually have our own spice facility. So we make those blends in-house. Uh, so we are making sure that we are honoring the classic dishes, but at the same time, making them, uh, giving you an elevated sense of the food and the experience, at the same time, making sure that it's uh, it's simplified for the guests. So it's a complex cuisine, but it is simplified when somebody comes in, they need to get their chula fix. And the the most um, loving compliment that I hear about chula is when people said, oh, I'm getting my chula today. So they don't say food, they don't say anything else. And I just love that. I feel like, yeah, if I'm not cooking today, I won't hesitate for my daughters to eat from chula because I know what's in there, you know? So just even though it's fast, casual, it is a lot of slow, painstakingly done work, which happens at every stage so that we can deliver on our promise. Sure. So you serve it fast, but you take a long time. To yes. It. Yes. And we make sure, you know, we have our four tendors um, that are like an art installation at each of the locations. And we have fresh bread there. And um, so things like that, you know, you won't see those in a fast casual. It's not about having an assembly line and you walk through it and that's it. You, you see that your food has been cooked in front of you. You see a lot of the, the goodness already, you know, kind of touching you before you even get that bite. Nice. So let's take a step back for our audience and explain what is Chula. Where is it? How many locations does it have? And, and what is the guest experience like when they walk in? Okay. okay. So if you walked into Chula and I'm at one of them, the first one, the mothership, uh, when you walk in, it it is, uh, to give you a simple way of describing it, when we opened our doors, it was called the apple of restaurants. So it is stainless steel. It is pristine clean. You have a view into the kitchen. You have four tendors that are cooking barbecues and bread. And you have a welcoming staff at the front. Uh, the decor is white and walnut uh, wood. And then you have a community table right in front of the tendor. Because the whole idea of tendors, as you know, and I can give a little bit of a sense on that, is that um, they were popular because of how they brought the community together, 
right? Um, so our whole idea of chula, which means clay ovens or tindoors, is that we want people to break bread together. We want the community to come together. So when you walk in, you'll have a community table where you can watch the food being prepared. You sit there, you order your bowl, wraps. Uh, we have street foods. We have various uh, house-made beverages. And um, that, that's what you have. And then, of course, the chula hospitality. It's not a transaction for us. We want you to come every day. We have some guests when we open doors. They would um, stand in the corner so that we wouldn't recognize them because that was the third time that week that they entered. And so now they're our friends for so many years. Uh, so the feeling is of being part of a community. And it's it's uh, something you do. You just come to Chula and people who come a lot and we have a lot of them, they're called Chula heads. And uh, a Chula head by definition is somebody who has experienced the highest level of consciousness, which is Chula Yum. <laughs> and uh, we love to have these things. And it's really fun to see how uh, people, we are door openers for the cuisine, really, for a lot of people in the Midwest. And once they come in, they're wowed and it's part of their rotation and we love it. We just love having everybody in and seeing what it does for them and us. Yeah, it's interesting how Indian food can surprise people by its deliciousness. I, I've had friends who, like, for whatever reason, end up at an Indian restaurant. They didn't mean to go or whatever. Like, they were meeting yeah. friends or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, oh, darn, I don't want to be here and eat Indian food. And then they have the food, and it's yes. delicious. And, you know, they realize they didn't need to go to a steakhouse. That going out for Indian food is sensational. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And there's one thing that, like I mentioned initially about not reinventing the wheel. So there are certain, what happens is when a cuisine is getting popularized, a lot of times certain stereotypes start to sink in. And that is because in order to make the cuisine familiar, you might have a few dishes being showcased. Let's say for Indian food might be a lot of cream and a lot of food color and a lot of other stuff just to uh, kind of make it relatable for people. Oh, I've eaten this there and I've eaten it this here. Reality is that's not how we eat at home. That's not how we cook at home. If we did, we wouldn't be here to talk about it, right? <laughs> so so um, Chula's promise is it's home-style cooking. So when you, you know, and we want the flavors to get your senses, not the heat. So what we've done is we have three different hot sauces. We have three other signature sauces that are lovely to try. And the hot sauces can give you the experience of what you want and how much you want. So we've tried to make it, we're, we like to say we are audaciously American, but we just want you to be exotically familiar. So when you come in, you've had the authentic grandma approved food, but at the same time, you're not alienated by the heat and the colors and um, maybe the quality you're questioning. We want all of that, all those barriers broken so that Indian food, South Asian cuisine is one of the mainstream. That is our push. It is a mainstream food. It is just food. Come enjoy. Have a great time. Do not worry about, is it going to overwhelm your senses? It's actually going to dance with you. So enjoy yourself. And that's the experience a lot of people have with that food. Now, you said chulan means clay or tandoor ovens? Ovens, yes. So it's a, it's a it's the meaning is similar to a tandoor or is it different? So chula, so it's like a stove, okay. right? So it could be made of mud. Like in the villages, it'll be on the floor, uh, or it could be a tandoor, or it could also be these days. If somebody said chula in India, they could also mean their gas range. But the word comes from chula means uh, clay oven, right? So that's how um, it is. And um, I, when you say something, I think of a story. When I was little, my mom had a little 
uh, tandoor in the house and she would make bread in that. And when that bread, that tandoor, because in India we have charcoal, right? So it would kind of simmer down. And when it was not as hot, I was allowed to take two of those dough balls and make my own bread in it. Um, so it's just, uh, it's really cool. And I wish my kids could do it at home, but they come to Chula a lot. So we do some non-making fun stuff, but my older one can do it. The younger one is still young to put her hand in the 500 degrees. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that, could, uh, that could be a game changer. Yes. And, and for people who don't know, a tandoor is a, a top-loading clay oven, right? Yes. So we like to say uh, that it is, in, um, it is so hot that it is cool. And the reason it's cool is because you're really skewering the meats or the cheese or, and you're sticking those skewers in 500 or 600 degrees. So there's radiant heat. So it cooks very quickly, right? And the juices are falling off. So a lot of the fat that was already put on the skewers is going. So it's a healthier way of cooking. The juices are sealed inside and the food has got a nice, um, what you call um, crispy flavor on the outside. So it's a very uh, enjoyable, you know, like an art, Right. And it's it's something that's special. But at the same time, it's also very quick if you have a big party. So, you know, you can throw a lot of food in it together and um, gives an opportunity for people to chat around. So it's it's fun. And uh, so let's talk about the menu at Chula. What yes. what is available and how do your guests order and interact with it? OK, so, um, Brett, what we are finding is that. As you are aware of all the trends, customization is huge right now for everybody, right? And people are, 40% of Americans are looking to actively eat plant-based food, right? We sort of think that we were the trailblazers already because we started Plant Forward. You know, we made sure that we were kind of taking one region and we are taking the food from northwestern part of India. So our food that you will find one of our top uh, selling dishes is chicken tikka masala bowl. And we uh, you get a side of bread. We have roasted vegetables. So we have bowls where you can customize those to what you want. So we have different proteins. We have chicken, lamb, paneer, which is locally actually made. And then we have um, salmon. We have vegetable croquettes and we have tofu. So these are your different proteins. And paneer is cheese. It's sort of a, a mild flavored cheese, right? Yes, Indian cheese. Exactly. And then we have um, different, uh, we call it masalas, but different sauces that go with it. Tikka masala. Then we have yellow lentil dal. We have the black lentil dal. And we have chickpeas. So we are taking care of, we call ourselves eatitarians because all eatitarians are welcome. Meatitarians, vegetarians, flexitarians, everybody. And so you have a choice of bread. You have a choice of rice, brown rice, greens. You can do half rice, half green. So we've kind of customized the whole menu for you to take. So those are just the bowls. Then we have wraps. We have wraps, a chicken wrap, lamb wrap. We have cauliflower uh, and chickpea wrap. We have street food, which is very, very popular. Our samosa chaat. Um, we have pao bhaji, which people from Mumbai give us a stamp of approval that this is one of the best that they've had. So we would love for people to try that. Um, and then we have samosas, which is my guilty pleasure, which I have with a cup of chai. <laughs> so, so that's uh, on the street foods. Um, we have various different beverages. And, you know, the Gen Z, they, they don't let you be if they, if they don't see what they want. So they made us make iced chai, 
So we had chai and now we even have iced chai, which oh, wow. uh, isn't that cool? And yeah. then we have our um, mint ginger lemonade. We have our uh, mango lemonade and our top seller beverages are mango lassi. Uh, I have a friend who says that she was in a death chair. That's the last drink she would like to have. And um, I, I keep telling her, drink it now because you don't need to be on a death chair for that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then we have a salad so you can get your protein choice on it. And the salad is really delicious. It has cauliflower. It has greens. It has these roti chips that are made with our uh, wheat naan. So it, it's, it's also very unique. So yeah, that's our selection. Now, you said uh, you have pao bhaji. What is that? Pao bhaji. Easiest way to explain it's the Indian sloppy joe. Okay. So it's it's like a mix of vegetables that are kind of um, in like a stewish form. And then they uh, you get two buns that are buttered and grilled and really delicious. You throw this vegetable mix on the bun. You get serranos, lemon, and chopped onions. And if you're in the mood for it, throw all of them on top and cover it up and it is one of the most heavenly dishes you're going to enjoy. It, and, it's an all meal in itself. It it's yeah. And pa- pao is a, a Portuguese. Pao style. is a bread. So a it's, blower. yes, you said Portuguese bread. Yes, yes. So there's no egg in it. So it appeals to a lot of our vegans as well. So if they don't want the butter on the bun, you know, you got your pao bhaji. A lot of our, what we've tried to do is we don't have nuts in our food. We don't, uh, we, we try not to have, we try to have options where you don't have to have dairy in everything, right? Um, so, um, and like I mentioned earlier, for us, it's very important that the food is clean. So there is no, nothing artificial. We don't use any food color. So you will never find the red blazing red chicken in Tula uh, because that's not what we want for your body to have. Uh, but what we do want is a delicious chicken. So um, we kind of take care of all those aspects for you. And you don't have to color it bright red for it to be delicious. Exactly. Exactly. We want to take away all the things that stand in the way of having a great meal for yourself. So that's the whole initiative. And you also have some oh, keep doing it. Oh, some so that's pie, right? or, or not sorry, meat, any kind of pie. Right? Little, <laughs> yeah. you know, like an empanada. Kind it's of a crispy pie. outside and it's got potatoes and peas inside. And we hope to in the future have other versions of samosas. So that's in the pipelines. We look at different options and see what is it that we would like to um, bring. And so we look at a different issue. So street food is something that features heavily on our list. And you also said you had chaat. Did you say samosa chaat? Was that yes, samosa chaat. Yes, samosa. So is that like chopped up samosa with other stuff. Yeah, or? so I can explain it to you. We you take do. four samosas. They are set up in the bowl, and then you throw some chickpea masala on it, and then you get sweet yogurt. You get tamarind apple, mint yogurt. These are different sauces. Messier the better. Just throw it all in. And then you scoop one at a time. It's like Indian nachos, maybe in a certain sense, but way, way, way more depth of flavors. So, when chat, as I understand it, means to lick, and it's any yes. kind of sort of yes, chato of- everything. Yes, Are you licking your bowl, sort of a experience. Yeah, and- you're making me hungry, Brett. You're making me hungry. We're doing, <laughs> and yeah, chat is a category that. I'm interested in seeing how it evolves because it seems like it could be just about anything. You chop things up, you put it all together and it's. it's exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think what's so cool is I was uh, doing a presentation for our team and we made a video of uh, street foods from India. 
And we were looking at those. And um, street food has its uh, very interesting spot in Indian cuisine. What it is, is it's very affordable. It's a quick snack. And in India, these are street vendors. So you're just walking up and you are getting a fix of different things. And it could be not just um, like a tangy or a sweet flavor. It could be something else. And when I was growing up, um, as I'm talking about street food, and I digress, but there were also vendors who were selling um, salad, like radishes and cucumbers with some chaat masala, which is also a spice mix, right? Which is which is kind of tangy. So it could be a snack that you could have carrots, radishes, cucumbers in slices, and you could get lemon on it and chaat masala, and that could be a snack while you walk back home. Mm. And where did you grow up? What's that? Where did you grow up? I grew up in New Delhi, and uh, we traveled a lot all over. Um, I I studied in South of India for my engineering, so I was a lot in Karnataka for four years. Um, and so overall, uh, I've traveled quite a bit in India, and I just love what, and I have friends from many different places. So it, it's just a pleasure to be able to sample all that food. And But you said at Chula, it mostly focuses on the cuisine of North the Western cuisine, yes, yes. Is Punjab sort of, right? Say that again, uh, Punjab. And um, so my parents, uh, Randhir's parents, are from the part of uh, Punjab that is now in Pakistan. So okay. they were people who, during the partition, had to leave everything and move to this side of the border, just because we happen to be Hindus, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's for us that whole region has a bigger meaning. You know, so we don't see it as different countries, um, just that whole, even going towards Central Asia. It's just all that cuisine, because years ago, as you remember, India used to be called the golden bird. And so there were a lot of natural resources and spices that people wanted, adventurers and uh, travelers. And so there was a whole caravan that was, was a melting pot, this whole region, for people coming from Central Asia. So as a result, that cuisine is very robust in terms of kebabs and curries and biryanis and street food and so you could spend days and still not have everything that that region has to offer and these days there's such a big push on regional cuisines as we hear and so like I said we've always thought of it like that that let's not go all over the place let's go for the classics what we do right let's bring that to to everybody and and just bring it as food that everybody can get a piece of the globe without being overwhelmed you know and, and how many locations do you guys have now so we just opened our seventh one in uh, Westlake, Ohio. And so that's it's, where we are. Yes. And it's all Greater Cleveland? So uh, Westlake is in Greater Cleveland, yes. So in Cleveland now we have three. We have one in Ohio City, and we have in um, Beachwood, Ohio, and then the Westlake, Ohio. And uh, we are in three other states. We are in three total states. So that's Ohio for you. We have in uh, King of Prussia. Um, so, and so then we have... Pittsburgh. We have two locations in Pittsburgh, and then we have one in uh, Virginia. Great. And do you have plans for expansion into other markets or in your existing markets, or what? You Absolutely. Do? So, um, as I was mentioning COVID to you earlier, that was the time a lot of the restaurant industry was kind of thrown into a turmoil, and we took that time to really invest in our teams, uh, in our uh, infrastructure in terms of systemizing our things, you know, what we need to do, because if we need to scale up, um, one has to have a, 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 
a better structure for it to happen, right? So um, that's why we are able to grow and we are really poised for high growth now. And hope, uh, hopefully in a little time, we should be able to announce things over time. But reality is that we are ready to yeah. have every corner of the globe. <laughs> that's the dream. That's the dream. That's It's important to dream. Sounds like a nice yes. one. Yes. And it's so, a lot of purpose. Certainly. Yes. And so uh, you are in charge of, of product development. Is it difficult to get uh, any of the ingredients or flavors that you want to incorporate in, into your cuisine? Or is it all pretty much readily available now? So I think things are available, Brett, but what's not available always is the quality. Mm. So, and we, when we started, we were called the genre burst, bursting cuisine. We don't take that label lightly. That's a responsibility. We have always gone after food quality, food safety. And if we need something for our food, for example, we make chickpea masala. And there is this one, and I actually have it here. This is called pipli. It's a long black pepper. And this, we only source it for our chickpea masala. And it's not readily available everywhere. So if I have to make a dish, which I know has to have the classic flavors, if it needs something, but it has to meet our food, uh, food quality and safety standards, we will source it however we need to source it. It is not always easy, um, but it is worth the effort. Makes sense. And, yeah. and masala just means spice, right? So masala is interesting. Masala in many ways. So one is, of course, it may, may mean spice. The other masala is if you go to a household, uh, people will make the base of a curry Mm-hmm. with onions, ginger, tomato, um, garlic. That also is called a masala, hmm. like the base of the thing. And uh, if you want to hear gossip, I do. Gossip is also masala. Oh. So give me the masala. So what's <laughs> the also, spice? Yeah, so you can or, say masala. So masala means, okay, what's the scandal here? Or or hot goss, as we say. Yes, hot goss or Oh, what do you say? These days they say, uh, give me the tea. What do they say? Something like that? Spill the tea. 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 Oh, to be very good at that. <laughs> I but... like masala better because it has a little nice um, tone to it. Right. When it's similarly spicy. Mm-hmm. Spicy. Uh, you're right. So spicy, masala, same thing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Are you, are you Indian by any far-fetched heritage or uh, no. travel? No, I, I got my uh, DNA checked and I am 97% European Jew. So, but you shouldn't have gotten it checked because you could pass. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I did live in Thailand for a while. And, and even though people don't think of it this way, Thailand is part of the Indian cultural sphere. A yes. lot of Brahminic customs. They're Buddhist, yes. but they also have a lot of Hindu and animistic traditions. So, yes, yes. And, and a lot of their words come from Sanskrit. So I, I have some idea of that. Absolutely. And that whole region for us, South Asians, Southeast Asian, Southwest Asian, it feels like it's it's all one in a way, but then it's also everybody's so unique. You know, so it's both ways. Yeah. Well, and that's true within India too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How many states, 20 some uh, different states? 58, I think now. Uh, when it's I was going to. 22 we used to learn 22 at at one point um yeah and and to think that the other big myth that i talk about is um everybody thinks indian food is indian food really 
it's like saying Italian food and Greek food is the same. You know, it's every state has its own unique cuisine that it brings. Um, so just appreciating uh, what's common and what's unique. It's an amazing combination. And every grandmother has her own cuisine. Her own yes. Cuisine. Yes, absolutely. Oh, the grandmother. Can I share a, a small story? I, I, I just, would, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when uh, I was making the recipe for uh, samosas, uh, we wanted to have an exact measurement of things. As you know, grandmothers tend to eyeball everything. So I learned the samosas that I knew from my mother-in-law and she passed. So now I was looking for the recipe. So I was talking to her friends and very close friend of hers who used to make the samosas with her. Um, when I asked her, she started telling me these eyeball ways and you do this and then you throw that in and then you, so couldn't really figure it out. So had to create the memory, the recipe from the memory of the taste that I had. Eventually, samosas are a big hit for Chula, right? So she visited us and then um, she had the meal. Everything goes well. Next time that we meet, she takes me to a corner. And when I was asking her for the recipe, she was eyeballing it. And so this time she's like, can you tell me exactly how much oil and how? So she started to ask me exactly how much because now she could relate the taste of that recipe to the food. But the exact measurements. You know what I'm trying to say? Like the grandmas, they do it so well with eyeballing. But when you are doing it in a restaurant, it has to be consistent and it has to have the same taste every single time. So it's a little bit of a different ball game that one has to figure out going from our kitchen to getting into restaurants. But when so, she tried it, she she wanted to know what the exact Exactly. Was. So that, that's why she took me to the corner. She said, can you share with me exactly what you did there? So it was an interesting conversation. Yeah, it is. I have tried to cook family recipes from taste memory and, and it's, yeah. it's not that hard like you, you, yeah that, yeah you start to say oh it's right there or it's missing a thing or whatever but the trick is to keep writing every iteration that you make and hopefully stumble upon the right combination right well and then you can you can replicate it which of course yes. you have to do yes seven locations in different states and like exactly because people will tell us if it's not replicated so yes. it has to be the same taste well that's what you want you want feedback Yes, yes, we thrive on it. That's why Yelp reviews can be your friend, depending. They are absolutely our friends. Um, when we were making um, tikka masala, that was the first recipe that I was making while the construction was on here. And we had a place where um, I made, I don't know if you know this story, 118 versions of the tikka masala. Whoa. And in those versions, with each version, I had a feedback form. So if you were coming from FedEx, UPS, or just simply came to the door to deliver something for the construction, you were a taster for me. And so you would get a form, you would get a cup and a spoon, and you were tasting it. So we used to have that feedback form and until we started to get nines and tens. We just kept doing it again and again and again. And that's how tikka masala was created which is a best-selling sauce. And same thing goes for our spice blends. We used to get spice blends off the shelf earlier. And then we said, no, we want to have fresh spices. So then our team, which is not just Indians, right? We have everybody, we are called United Nations. And everybody had to close their eyes, drink the tikka masala with the different blends till they could say that it's the same as before. So the new spice blend had to be exactly how it tasted before. So we, we do all this kind of uh, geeky stuff 
a lot here for anything new that we do. And that keeps us fun and exciting. Well, and that's so smart to test it on people who are just walking by or delivering things because they're all potential customers. So Absolutely. And we're not in vacuum, right? Like it, it's right. not a presentation from me to you. I think if I can serve you, that's the battle one. It is not about me, you know, or whoever is doing the work. I, I think it's about the customer. It's about the guest. Are they getting what they want? Words to live by. And a great way for us to wrap up. Thank you so much, Simran Sethi, for spending some time with me. And I hope to see you in Cleveland sometime soon. I am. I was just going to invite you. We need you over here in Cleveland so that you can um, actually taste all the food we talked about today. That sounds great. And thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate it. And thank you from everybody at Chula. <laughs>